Hey, I'm in charge. You are. Did you know that? Ah. Did, you, yes. <laughs> did, ah. did you did you know that? Because it's only just dawned on me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to On The Reg. I'm Dr. Jason Downs from La Trobe University, and I'm here with my good friend, Professor Inga Mewburn from the Australian National University, but she is better known as the Thesis Whisperer on the internet. And we're here for another episode of On The Reg, where we talk about work, but you know, not in a boring way. We do practical, implementable productivity hacks to help you lead a more balanced life. But before we get started, as always, we'd like to thank our podcast recording platform, Riverside, who changed things up for us this week and made it all a little bit more dramatic at the start. And we'd like, uh, because those guys support us here on the reg and they provide us with a free subscription to their service in return for spreading the word about how good they are, which they are good. Word (laughs) spread. (laughs) Welcome, Inga. (laughs) How have you been? Oh, Jason, I just came... (laughs) Off three huge weeks of student-facing stuff. So I did a three-minute thesis and then we did one week of new student induction. So I've just been like face-to-face with students, not touching my email very much, and uh, just been having fun about the work piling up in the background, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. yeah. So our induction thing's interesting because it was – a thing thought up by committee, and you know what they say about plans by a committee, you know, a camel is a horse designed by committee, et cetera. Um, yeah. and, and the committee asked me, oh, gosh, two years ago now, I think it was, it took a little while to get the funding in place, to change how we induct new students so that every new PhD student to ANU comes to ANU and spends a week with me and my team. Um, wow. learning wow. the stuff that you need to know to sort of get you through, you know, how to get along with your supervisor. Uh, we do a little bit of communications training. We do we do research integrity. We do work health and safety. We do respectful relationships. Um, but it's really it's really interesting because you know there's a big group of people, about seventy people mm. this time, and from all over the university doing all sorts of different things. And basically, we just sort of squish them in a room together and make them become friends. That's basically what we do. So, yeah, until they're friends, we don't let them leave. I was, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was the dumbest idea out when they first told me. I was like, oh, okay, because I've always thought about induction as being kind of like giving you an injection of stuff and then going away and saying, hope you don't get sick, you know, (laughs) and they're sort of trying to cram too much at the start, you know what I mean, and not you should spread the support out and just in time, just in point of need. But I've totally changed my mind. I was completely wrong. It's a really good idea and the friendship bit's the best bit because you want to feel like you belong to a place. So that was really good and a pleasure to do that. And 3MT, the way that we do it at ANU is we get very intense about it. (laughs) So so I had two full days with the finalists sort of just getting them to get to know each other because, again, it's the competition and we don't want them to – we don't want it to be really orcs, like where they're just like competing with each other and eyeing each other off like I'm going to win, no, I'm going to win. So, again, we like force friendships and this takes about Mm. two weeks. And so we put them in – we we take them out to dinner a bunch of times – we put them in a workshop and then I see them all one-on-one and then I script doctor. So basically for two weeks I just look mm. after these nine or ten people. I get to know them really well, which is really delightful. And then mm. it sort of feels by the end a bit like a school production 
rather than yeah. <laughs> right and like we're all in this together. We're all going to put on a show. This is how we're going to do. It. And um, it's you've got to you know put a lot of work in to get it to do that. And it's a really big venue. It's like a two thousand seater, and wow. um, most years it's full. It wasn't very full this year, but it was you know fullish, like good enough mm. that you. It's a bit intimidating. So, like occasionally, I've had to push people onto the stage, like get behind them and just. So only one of them, one of them had a little bit of a pause, but she recovered like a champ. And so, but just before the show started, the sound guide got all the levels right. You know how they're very picky about that. We'd spent, we'd had two dress rehearsals, right? So I know how much effort this guy put into getting the levels just right. And then a a member of the audience just said, oh, I need to be over there now. Climbed over the sound booth, managed to kick... (laughs) Kick one of the little sliders. Anyway, so he thought, oh, I'll just put that slider back. Hadn't noticed that somehow that this guy had actually sort of managed to turn off the sound in the auditorium, like the whole thing. And so the first person gets out and starts talking and – um. She's not amplified and it's a very big venue and she just carries on. She And then uh, every, everyone in the audience who knows me is texting me like my phone's blowing up and I'm like, yeah. I know, I know that the sound's <laughs> not working. And we're all running around in the background going, what's going on? You know, um, and about like a minute in, he managed to turn it on again and then something happened with the lights and lights were just flashing on and off. Anyway, this candidate was such a champ because she had practised her 3MT with a loop of a crying baby in the background in order to train herself to be able to do it without any distractions, right? Wow. So she just, she carried on. That's hardcore. Nothing was stopping Jennifer, right? She just, like, carried on. And then finally, anyway, and we're like, oh, well, that wasn't very fair as a competition. So we're like, okay, audience, yeah, it's been a couple of years, a little bit out of practice back here. So (laughs) we're just going to, like, put her at the end. So we re-ran her again at the end. And she was a champ. She got out. She's like, is this thing on? And everyone has a laugh. (laughs) And and then she does a spiel and you're not going to – this true, not a word of a lie. She starts talking and someone brought their baby and the baby starts fucking crying. (laughs) (laughs) And Jennifer just – Goes like she's like I'm born for this. <laughs> and she won it. She won it. Oh, of course she did. Of yeah. course she did. It was amazing. It was amazing. So you know, look, it's been it's like really intense three weeks, but really enjoyable for me. I'm so, so glad that she yeah, won it. If she, I know she hadn't. If she had not won it, you would have had to have kind of come up with a, you know, a, like a, another prize, right? Like, you know, technical, for, for technical ability or something, you know, like a dive, different totally. degree of difficulty. Totally, totally. Oh, so yeah. So now I go into a period that's supposedly no teaching because I was going to be in Europe, Jason. Ah. Yes. I, I looked in my calendar today for our recording and it's got, you know, on the reg recording session this morning and it's got Jason Solo next to it. And I'm, and I'm looking at it and I'm going like, Jason Solo? Was there something, were we supposed to be talking about Star Wars, like Han Solo? <laughs> and I, like, I don't know. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Ingrid was supposed mm. to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not, as you can see, not here. But so no. I didn't, I didn't rearrange any teaching. And I was just starting to think maybe I should take the third, the fourth quarter of the year off always, but 
bits and bobs have crept back in. So I'm going to do a like my favorite writing hacks writing retreat for Acrimo. If you don't know about Acrimo, it's Academic Writing Month hash Acrimo, and it's a worldwide thing. Like <laughs> lots of universities. <coughs> Excuse me. Lots Ooh, of universities just run a whole lot of like writing things. Like it's just yeah. a festival, and and so I thought I'd do a my favorite writing hacks sort of workshop, just a day long thing. So I'm going to do that, and we're running um, for the first time in a couple of years again a face to face boot camp, the famous version where you we get people to write twenty thousand words on the weekend, and wow. and at least always three or four people do write twenty thousand words. Um, everyone writes about 5,000. So, you know. How many, how many would you get to the sessions? Like this, this one, how many people would turn up? Uh, up to a hundred. Wow. Yeah. That's large. Yeah. So when we have a hundred people, we have like about six people get to 20,000 words. Most people write between 10 and 15,000 words and they're really happy with that, right? Cause that still mm. eats more mm. than, and there's some people that write, I, I won't let anyone write less than 5,000. I just like fix them with the eye. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you're not so, leaving until you've written yeah. me this many words. Like it says boot camp on the label, right? Like, so yeah. let's boot camp the fuck out of this thing. Anyway. Yeah. So that's me. It's been fun. Ah, that's awesome. Mm. You've got to hear that you're taking some time. Yes. Got a trip to Tassie? Got yeah. a trip to Tassie? Well, since I'm not going away, I just thought I'd, <clears> you know, <throat> pop out of the state, do a few things, coming down next weekend, might see you, nice. might see a few other people. And then nice. um, University of Tasmania invited me over and then we thought that was a good opportunity to go and see the Rallos. So we're going to take the tears over on the nice. boat. So that'll all be fun. So I'm sort of looking forward to the end of the year. I've been looking forward to this bit of the year all year. Yep. <laughs> Because it's just a little <laughs> bit looser, you know, not so much. Anyway, how about you? What's been haps? What's the haps? Uh, what's the haps? My folks came over for a flying visit last weekend um, because last weekend was I – don't, I don't think they – don't think they came because it was Father's Day. It just happened to be Father's Day. And um, my folks live in South Australia, and so I don't get to see them all that much. But this was the second Father's Day in a row I got to spend with Dad and Jack. So, which is pretty cool because last year we were on Epic Trip 2021. Um, and we, we spent, yeah, a whole year ago. (laughs) Um, and we spent it, uh, together diving on Ningaloo Reef outside of Coral Bay there. Spectacular. And I went swimming with the manta rays and all that sort of stuff last time. This time we went to a pub for lunch, but it was still nice, right? <laughs> Not quite so fancy, but you know, no, family yeah, still family yeah. time. That's good. Still family time. So that was good. So they were only here for a couple of days, um, but it was good to catch up with them. I don't see them enough, so it was great. Mm. Um, I went to a surgeon. I can't remember if I've talked about this on the reg or not. Um, I think we did but, mention it like, that you've yeah, done yourself an injury. Yeah, BJJ injury. Got there, and he prodded me and poked me and like he had a look at all the scans and all the rest of it and then he kind of he was sticking his fingers and he's like you know what I don't, i'm not sure about this jason i don't know whether or not you need surgery oh and i'm like oh which is you know surgeon right like saying mm, maybe you don't need surgery it was like okay it's like a mechanic saying you don't need your car fixed <laughs> right like you know, it's like <laughs> just doesn't quite sound right anyway he talked me out of it he talked me out of surgery so wow. uh, 
Yeah, he said he reckons uh, like I just need to rest. He he oh, thinks yeah. that I've I he certainly thinks I've hurt myself, but he says mm, surgery is not the answer here. He thinks just six weeks worth of rest will fix it up. Well, so well. yeah, so I'm on about week three or four now. No, but must be about week three of that kind of. Forced rest stuff. He charged me two hundred and fifty bucks for the privilege, though, right? Like, you know, <laughs> of course like, he did. Yeah, 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 it's like, oh yeah, that that'll be two hundred and fifty bucks. Thanks. Oh, yeah, good <laughs> and you know, at least I'm not going back under the knife, so that's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, the other stuff's been just kind of like just moving along as you would expect. I cracked a new bujo. Oh. So staring down the end of the year, and of course it's August, September time of the year, and you've talked about that, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again, how just crazy that is for people who work in the centres of the universities. Uh, it's Yeah, it's always a little bit anxiety-inducing when you open it, like you start a new bujo about this time of the year, and you look you look back at what you said you were going to do way back in January, yeah. <laughs> you know, like two bujos ago, yeah. and you go, oh. Because You're making like, me look you know, back when... in mine now. <laughs> Let me see. Uh, yeah. yeah. Three out of five. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. I, I, I always I always over, I over kind of commit to what I think I'm going to be able to get done. <laughs> so I'm not as far along as what I wanted to be. There's still enough time, right? Like towards the end of the year, like I could, wow. I could do it. I could just like just get some. <laughs> like just white but didn't the surgeon? It out. Didn't the surgeon say rest? I mean, does rest involve like rest from work as well, or rest uh, like from BJJ only? Like, what does rest mean? I mean, that's a two hundred and fifty dollar prescription for rest, so I would expect it to be detailed. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I probably should have asked that question and that would have been helpful for me to, to, to get clarification that I actually needed rest from work. <laughs> but I didn't because I'm not very smart. <laughs> uh, and, and so I've just been taking time off the mats. Last Thursday, I take Jack, right? I, I take him down there for when he was, when he's rolling. So last Thursday, I went down and the guys were over in the corner and, and one of the, one of the guys had his back to me. And so I raced across the mat, right? And I'm going like, shh, shh, to the others who could see me coming, right? Like I'm like, <laughs> and I'm finger up to my lips going, shh, don't let him know. Don't let Reese know that I'm coming. And I, I came in behind and I went to put a rear naked choke on him, right? Like <laughs> a surprise attack. And because uh, he's a, just a weapon, he just grabbed me and threw me onto the ground, right? And like... <laughs> And, and when I did that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. The doctor did say I'm not allowed to do that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. Right. Still not ready to come back onto the mats just yet. <laughs> it's like, good times. <laughs> but that's about, that's about me, really. It's all like pretty, pretty kind of low, you know, low effort, really. I'm just kind of looking after myself a little bit and don't have to do much but rest and just kind of hang out and do work. Yeah. Well, I mean, you are stepping down off two very full-on jobs to just one very full-on job. So that must, you know, seem quite, you know, probably still pretty full-on. Yeah, it, it, because the it's like when you zoom in and out of a map, right? Like when you're, when you're right up above it and you can see everything, it's great because you can see how it all fits together, but you can't necessarily see the detail. Mm. And so then when you zoom into, like, when you step off that kind of high look and you get right down into the detail you suddenly realise exactly how much work is involved in those things that looked not that big from a 
from some distance away, right? <laughs> it's good to have um, a reminder that that's how your boss sees your work, you know. Like everyone's work is mostly invisible to their boss, you know. It's very yeah. very easy for it to become invisible. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's just a thing on a spreadsheet somewhere, isn't it, right? You yeah, know, exactly, like part, yeah. Yep. Part of the work plan. How are we going with that thing that, you know, consumes 50 <laughs> hours a week of your time and, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night <laughs> sweating about it? <laughs> right? This is why I'm a very big complainer. So thank you, Anne. Big shout out to Anne for listening to me complain about things. This didn't go right. That didn't go right. This detail, that detail. Just so she doesn't forget that there's a lot. That's all. Well, I'm I've actually got I've, I've got a two minute tip about that at the end. Oh, so good. For, yeah, um, I'm trying to figure out how to manage that a little bit better. So I think I've got one. So we'll talk about that at the end because hey, you know, <laughs> that's why we run this podcast. <laughs> let's make let's make people go all wait, the way wait. to the end. Exactly, it's your reward. It's your reward. Hey, um, I see in the notes here we've got a speak pipe. We do, Q. we do, and actually, long time listeners. Well, I don't know if you've been listening for the last five or six, ten. How long have we been talking about this now? I don't know how this <laughs> happened, but we. <laughs> We got somehow onto the topic of romance novels, which we do when we talk about always my plans to write one. And then we got you sent me a book on the Navy SEALs called yeah. It's Not Coming to Extreme, Me Right Now. Extreme, Extreme ownership. ownership. And then we did a whole episode about that. And I sent you a Navy SEALs romance. And then <laughs> we talked about it on Twitter and our friend Chin Koo, also of La Trobe University, was chipped in. And then, of course, for chipping in and commenting, she got sent also a Navy SEALs romance. So <laughs> Chin, Chin has called back with her review and we thought this would be good a chance um, to, like, we're finally, we've been promising this for weeks and we've been teasing yeah. you. So we're going to talk about <laughs> romance novels for just a little bit and we're going to talk about specifically the genre of Navy Steel romance. Big shout out to Catherine Firth, fellow fan, um, who had a couple of episodes. Was it three episodes ago? Maybe with the Atomic Writing Habits, she dropped in yeah. a speak pipe about her views. Also a fan. Chin, here's Chin, and she's going to tell us what she thinks. Okay, you ready? Yeah, go. Hi, Inga and Jason. This is Chin calling in with my take on our Navy SEALs adventure that we're having together. Uh, my novel was <laughs> Get Lucky by Suzanne Brockman, and it's number nine in the Tall, Dark and Dangerous series, which is a bit misleading, I think, for this one, because Lucky O'Donnell, the Navy SEAL love interest, is your typical blonde, blue-eyed Ken doll, as is specifically flagged in the book. <laughs> also flagged in the book several times is how well he fills out his dress whites so far so usual <laughs> as romance novels go amazingly beautiful protagonists who seem completely unsuitable for each other who clash initially before realizing they desperately want yeah. to be in each other's lives and shorts <sighs> just note that in this review there will be spoilers ahoy so inga asked me did i like it well i have a literary studies phd so i'm professionally required to say it depends. I found it readable, having finished it in a few days, if you saw me live tweeting on Twitter. I was intrigued that the opening story thread centred on the investigation of a series of rapes in the local area. This isn't usually the kind of topic that sits alongside a smoochy romance narrative. So points to Brockman for incorporating this without being flippant or exploitative about it. 
That said, the <laughs> rape investigation arc gave plenty of momentum to the requisite protective man trope, and Lucky and his entire <sighs> squad spent many pages protecting their womenfolk. To be fair, there is a woman <laughs> who is a police officer who is given some legitimacy as a protector because of her badge, but she also ends up in a coma because there was no man to protect her. In the tradition of not all men, Lucky pulls a not-my-bro moment when Sydney suggests that one of his squad has been acting suspiciously and is giving off threatening vibes. How dare she accuse him of such things? Didn't she know that SEALs who've been tortured together in the name of training have steadfast trust in one another forevermore? Because that's how being tortured together works, yo. <laughs> Sydney is wrong about Lucky's seal bro, and it's some random non-seal who failed being tortured together who is the serial yeah. rapist. He is only caught because of the behind-the-scenes work that Sydney does as a journo. Is there a lesson here for on-the-reg fans and conversations around work and productivity? I'm going to leave that one for Jason and Inga to navigate. Later, folks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you can see why when she sent it to me, I, I said, chef's kiss. Chef's yeah. kiss. That's what you get a literary studies PhD for. Look at that. Absolutely right. Like, that's just <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> and now that I've seen the warrior trope and the protecting the women trope, I can't unsee it. And you're quite yes. right, Jim. Now it's going to annoy me. <laughs> Thank you for ruining one of my favourite Susan Brockman books for me. But that's okay. It's all right. I probably need to see it. <laughs> oh, oh, man, I don't know how I can follow that, right? No, like, I know. It's hard, cool. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Chin. You're you're fabulous. <laughs> should I should I have a go though? Should I try? I think and- you should have a go. Should- like I think you can just you can you can have your impression. So you read. I sent I sent Chin get lucky, but I sent you Everyday Average Jones by Susan Brugman. Yeah. And you were going to get get lucky, so feel relieved that you didn't get him filling out (laughs) his Jess Whites (laughs) in spectacular fashion. What did you think, Jason? Man, this is without a doubt. So I'm going to call out my lack of experience with romance novels first up. (laughs) This is the first romance novel I've ever read, right? Like I'm 50 (laughs) and I'm just saying this is the first one I've ever read. And like there's probably a reason. I'm just saying it's probably a very good reason why I've never never actually read one of these things before. Just straight up, this was the most confusing book I have ever read ever <laughs> in my life, right? It's like you, you promised me that it would be a, an instruction on how women, you, like an instructional for women, right? Like what, what was the yeah, phrase you used? Well, look, uh, the thing about romance novels, so just let me put that comment in context. I said it's in the, yeah, the yeah, instruction yeah, women for manual, <laughs> manual yes. for women. That's because, yeah. and it's well acknowledged in the romance community, that some of the tropes and the kind of themes are deeply, deeply problematic, right? right and they're put right. there because those things are deeply problematic and implanted by the patriarchy and they're with us even if we don't want them to be. Oh, and romance right. novels are a really interesting way to kind of like surface them, like the warrior trope. Like there is, yeah. and, and and the romance community will often talk about like the the their favorite tropes, why they're problematic, why they like them anyway. 
you know, all that kind of stuff. So, like, it's not to say that we that it's an instruction manual in that you should definitely act this way. Yes, it's just that thank you. The, these are the kind of romantic tropes that have been implanted in women, and it's not like we go around expecting guys, nor would we necessarily want them to actually play these out, but they're there. Thank you. Right? <laughs> I was just like I got. I was reading. And so I think it's a window. Like- it's a window for men. It's a window into like the absolutely warping effects of the patriarchy. <laughs> I I was just confused. Like like, what do I do with this? Like, I was <laughs> do you really- want to tell people what it was about? Because <laughs> yeah, all right. because your your um your pocket description is really hilarious. <laughs> Look, this book this book starts off well, right? From like, your point of view, off, well. From yeah. my point of view, from, you know, like now I'm not going to say I represent the patriarchy, <laughs> like or any of that. I'm going to leave that conversation for people who are much smarter than me, right? I'm just going to say I picked up this book and I was tasked with reading it from front to end, right? and that's and all did I that. did with it, and that's what I did. I didn't, I didn't think too hard about this. Anyway, this book starts off well. There are some people being held in some American embassy or some room somewhere in faraway Astan, right? Like so, yep. prop. Props for Suzanne Brockman for actually leveraging an actual war to sell the books, by the way. Right? <laughs> yeah, sure. And the, yeah, so uh, and the Navy SEALs have been tasked with rescuing these hostages, right? Cue a very, very brief description about how they actually do that, none of which was very detailed or exciting. <laughs> I, I found that. that bit the most boring and I skipped over it. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> In the middle of all the action that's going on, like while while they're being um, while they're being rescued, their their eyes meet. The protagonist, you know, their eyes meet, and there is this instantaneous recognition of sexual attraction, confusingly described as something else. Fittingly, confused feelings. People should know better, but they let their emotions get in the way of clear decision making. Long discussions about the colours of everybody's eyes. If I could just like- stop it for a moment, in romance or <laughs> literature. It's the only kind of literature where you know the colour of everyone's eyes. Oh, my God, it's so a thing. much it's colour. It's a thing. If it's not there, it's not a proper romance novel. Ah. Oh, and it's like, got to be returned I, to again and again. It's important. Over and over <laughs> and over again. All right. It's like, all right. So and everyone, look, everyone escapes, right? So, of course. So because this is at the start of the book and it would be a very short book if they all died. But anyway. <laughs> But the description of the escape where they, they raid an airfield, disable all the planes except for the one that they're going to steal. Well, our average Jones gets into a knife fight, apparently, but it's not described. Right? Details, they actually, details. They, they steal a plane and fly away. It's all given the same treatment, right? Like about a couple of pages. Like that was like that was about the detailedness of it. You know, he goes away. He goes, sneaks into this airfield, and then, like, a few hours later comes back and he's got knife wounds. That's all right, we that's need it. to know. That's all we need to know. Why do we need oh, to know man. more than that? No, come on. This is, the, this is the good stuff. This is what See, we want. We want details. How do, how do you disable a plane? How do you fly a plane you've never flown before? How we do don't you know. He's a Navy SEAL. We don't need to know. He can just do uh, that. Anyway, right, whatever. See, this is what the patriarchy does to you. Versus what it does to me. <laughs> it wants you to lean into the violence. That's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, okay, look. Anyway, escape secured, which is a miracle in itself if we were to believe all of the smouldering sexual tension in the air. Like, I, he found how the they time. Even, he found the time. How do, they, yeah. how do they wade through all that, right, just to be able to manage to escape? I don't know. 
Anyway, there's some vague reference to the main protagonist spending like the next eight days in a hotel room ordering food and having of sex. Of course they do. Again, yeah. again, no, but no details. Right? I know, it's like, a closed-door no, moment. It's a closed-door moment. It's a pretty yeah. tame romance in that respect. Like, there's not a lot on there's the page. There's not a lot. As they call no, it no. in the in the genre, uh, sex on the page. Not a lot of sex on the page. Okay. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, though, if, we have, are we supposed to be using our imaginations? Is that how this yes, thing incre- works? Yes, incre- right. incorrect. Well, right. in this oh, okay. song, I mean, some of them require much, much less imagination, Jason. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, okay. Please don't send me one of those. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. All right. This is anyway, people, anyway, yeah. Okay. All right. Go on. Anyway, apparently they had a good time. That's all. That's a all. A good time was not, had by all. all. A good time was had by all. There was lots of food. Anyway, the next thing you know, cut to the present day, right? Uh, and the main female character has gone back to a little country town where she's grew up, and she's living in the house with her sister. Oh, by the way, she's heavily pregnant. And there's no mention of the Navy SEAL anywhere in this thing. So we get a chapter, we get a chapter, a short chapter of describing her, her pregnancy and how difficult that is for her and her sister and the relationship that they have with that. Anyway, the Navy SEAL apparently has been busy, but then decides he wants to see her again. So yeah. he hasn't spoken, he hasn't spoken to her since the rescue, right? No. Presumably because of, you know, operational security or something, but like who knows, right? Maybe he's he that guy. Forgot. He's that guy. Yeah. 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 Anyway, maybe he lost a number. I don't know. Anyway, he tracks her down, Navy SEAL, and takes a few days off from saving the world. Again, no more descriptions about what he could have been saving the world from, which would have been interesting. And then, like, he goes and visits her in the small country town. Anyway, finally tracks her down, bumps into her while she's chasing a local scallywag. I don't know what the scallywag bit had to do with it, but there's there's a little (laughs) child scallywag thing. I don't know, there's confusion on behalf of the seal because, hey, she's pregnant and she's confused because deep down she's happy to see him but she decides she'd rather not see him for reasons I can't figure out. Romance so anyways, <laughs> Right, romance <laughs> It's got something to do with the fact that she's decided, apparently, without discussing it with him, that he'd make a terrible father and it's probably best if she just did the whole raising a family thing by herself. <laughs> it's here that we find that characters both have deeply conservative leanings, political leanings, I, I would say. Yes. Uh, but they're, they're applied in different ways. He wants to, like, do the right thing by her and get married. And she doesn't want to get married unless he's the right one. And by the right one, she means some boring person who will stay home, mow the grass, and, like, to be... I'm not sure whether or not <laughs> mow the grass was supposed to be a metaphor in this movie, in this book, or not. But... She returns to the fact that she wants her lawn trimmed a couple of times. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, Susan Brockman, the author, she spends like the next 90% of this book going into excruciating detail about the female protagonist, how she feels yep. and what she is thinking. That's romance, yep. Uh, That's the reason for it. It's like an, an emotional instruction manual. Oh, man. But not, not for how you're meant to about- feel. But not for how you're meant to feel. It's just like getting into the inner life of somebody else that you will never be. And then what what you can do then is, like, figure out how, what, like, you react to what those emotions, like, uh, uh, I'm no literary theorist, but (laughs) it's like you try on, like, what, what, it's like emotional education, I suppose. Like, you try on how someone else would feel in that situation in order to think mm-hmm. about how you would feel. or whether- And, like, I totally reject pretty much everything that both of them felt and thought in this book. 
Just for the okay. record, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> the yeah. Good. Right. And that's the fun of romance like... books. It's like, do I buy this? Would I do that? No, I definitely wouldn't. Okay, end of story. Tell me more about the decor of the nursery. <laughs> yeah. She spends pages doing this, right? Like there's this little, like the protagonist is setting up this nursery on the top floor of this house sort of thing. Like not a great move if you're going to have to climb up and down the stairs all the time to be able to do this, but let's not even talk about that. Do it on the ground floor, people, where you can get access to the paint. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) And she spends like ages describing this decor. But when it comes to the exciting bits, like diving a nearby lake for a body, right? I haven't got any treatment at all. And I'm like, it's killing me by this stage, right? Like I'm, I'm take, I'm dragging this damn book around to jujitsu to like, like just a page here, a page there, just trying to get through it. And I'm just no, like, you need to me. read what you what I've bolded out in the notes here. You said, <laughs> right. read read what you said. I I will I will I'll get there. There's a there's a flurry of activity towards the end of the book. But really it felt manufactured and really only to provide some setting for more descriptions of confused feelings and emotions, some yep. eye-colour description. Yep. And then the book wraps up when they eventually get together and they get married, just like we knew they would from about page 13. <laughs> right? The lesson I took away from this book is that this, <laughs> if this is truly how women think about romance, then it is a miracle flat out at all that any person anywhere is able to find a romantic partner at all. Right? Like It's just like... Oh, my God. Anyway, the bolder bit. It was an incredible, easy book to read. It's been ages since I've read something so unapologetically fun. See, there you it go. Was, yeah, yeah, it was fun. Like, it was fun. I I, I did find myself taking it with me as I went around my business, uh, and I'd sneakily read a page here, a page there. <laughs> <laughs> but I swear to God, don't you ever give me another romance novel, Inga, ever. Promise me that. Right? I promise. However, I promise. I, I will, however, offer to read yours as a beta reader. If it annoys me as much as this one did, you're bound to have a bestseller, right? <laughs> Noted. And I will take you up on that offer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Navy uh, Seals. But they like, are just fun. Like, that's the point of them. They're fun. Like, yeah, they're silly and they're fun. Like, and I, I got my romance novel addiction while I was doing my PhD, like, let's put it this way. I, I had the gateway drugs, Jane Austen, you know, Georgette Heyer yeah. was Jane Austen with kissing. And then, you know, I just slid into the <laughs> Jane Austen with sex kind of end of the romance genre. And then I just broadened out. Now it's werewolves, telepaths, you know, <laughs> like Navy Steels, bring it on. I don't care what it is. I'll read all of them. I'll read all of them. But I, I do like oh, Susan yeah. Brockman because, like, I mean, and you know, this isn't my favourite of that series by a long, long shot, I think, because of the conservatism <laughs> and the conservative family values and all the rest of it. But, you know, but it is it is fun. Um, it was and a fun I one. promise you that my, my Fifty Shades of Grey, thank you for that <laughs> title, Chin, will definitely be, you know, something you will hate. All right, excellent. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> big oh, shout man. out, big shout out to my friend Nick at this point in the podcast because Nick, my friend Nick, he has been looking forward to hearing this romance segment for a little while. <laughs> so there you go, Nick. I hope that it delivered. Um, <laughs> I hope we got there for you, Nick. And um, if you have my- a challenge of the books, the, the fiction books that you would like Jason to read next, please let us know. <laughs> yes. Send us a Actually, sweet pipe. <laughs> yeah, send us a speak by. Hey, to be 
Uh, to be fair, though, it's been so long since I've read a fiction book that it's actually turned me back on to reading fiction again. Like, I, I reckon it's been – I don't think I've picked up a fiction book for a decade. Oh, probably. Jason! I know, right? Like, I just – like, I've been reading all sorts of stuff, but it would be at least a decade since I've picked up a fiction book. Last Sunday, Father's Day, they had a local markets down near, oh, nearby, yeah. mm-hmm. a place called Cherry Cherry Lake, the local Lions Club, put on the markets down there. Went and bought myself a science fiction book. Cost me a dollar. And I'm starting to, started to read that. So in the background, along, you know, with some other stuff. But That's yeah. good. Oh, I'm really glad that, I mean, that, that writing is, reading such a pleasurable thing and our work mm. takes all the pleasure out of reading. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it certainly yeah. does. Yeah. And that's why I yeah. needed to go to books that were actually, you know, fun or else I just couldn't yeah. do it, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. Hey. Yeah, you're driving work the bus. Problem- yeah. I'm driving the bus. Work problems. Work problems. Um, this is our section where we focus on one of the aspects of work and we talk about the problems that we've encountered and we like to analyse these problems. So sometimes we talk about the literature and we also like to be practical, sharing our tips and hacks for solving these problems. And what this week, we're looking at the 80-20 rule. So Inga's going to do a bit of a deep dive on the 80-20 the 80, is it called the 80-20 Principle? Yes, it is called the 80-20 Principle. The 80-20 Principle by Richard Koch. And this is going to be, this is going to form part of our Is This Book Bullshit series? Because this is one of those books that the 80-20 rule is known by lots and lots of people. It gets trotted out all the time. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to call it here. I use it all the time in, when it comes to doing analysis at work. I'm like, I wonder if there's an 80-20 thing going on here that I can work on. So um, Inga's going to go into the 80-20 principle book and we're going to have a bit of a discussion, see if we learn some things. Yes. We'll go from there. I'll, yes. I'll hand, hand it over to you. All right. We have got a discussion guide, so we'll put the link in the show <clears> notes. <throat> so when we're talking about <clears throat> page two or page three, you can go to the discussion guide. And this is the way we're doing on the reg now, I've decided, because it's easier and, and making like it. it valuable. So you can read along and there's links and quotes and stuff. So so what is this book? You've talked about this book pretty mm. regularly and it's mm. been referred to a lot. So one day I was in the bookstore and it was there, so I bought it. So I bought the 20th anniversary edition, so that goes to show how mm. enduring it's been. Um, and it's the 80-20 principle, the secret of so achieving more with less. So, like, the promise mm. in the title is pretty good, right? So, and, mm. of course, our friend Tim Ferriss, <clears throat> bro podcaster, has his, uh, <laughs> has his blurb, he blurbs the front there and it says, read this book and use it. So, yeah, you know, yeah. So this book came out before Tim Ferriss and obviously influenced Tim mm. Ferriss. Mm. Richard Koch is a, and I got this from Wikipedia or some source like that, is a British management consultant, venture capital investor and author of books on management, marketing and lifestyle. And I would say mm-hmm. I looked him up and he looks a bit like Boris Johnson but with the hair, with actually brushing his hair. Yeah. Which I don't think yep. Boris does very often but clearly no. Richard brushes his hair. So picture Richard yeah. like that. He wrote this book in 1997. I didn't realise it was actually this old, and I reckon he's made Mm. bank. I mean, it doesn't say Mm. this many million copies sold, but I assume that he's sold fucking heaps of it. And this 20th anniversary has four additional chapters. And so, you know, broadly speaking, it's got a a first chapter and he he talks about some theorists that sit behind the idea of 2020. So there's some sort of empirical base there, like theoretical base. Then he talks about corporate success needn't be a mystery. 
And I've got in my notes there, this part is pretty evil and I'll get to that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I really had trouble with it. Work yeah. less, earn more, enjoy more is the other next section after that. So no wonder Tim Ferriss has blurbed it. And then he has the 80-20 future and the principal were revisited, which I'll admit I didn't read because I got to page 197 of this book and there's 387 pages. So... I got that far and I just, I couldn't go any further. And I'm really conflicted about this book. I struggled actually to get this far. And it's one of those books where I just highly recommend you read it yourself rather than, you know, form your own judgment. Because I kept wavering between thinking this book is awesome because there is Mm. a lot of really fascinating things in there, like totally fascinating. And this Mm. is one of the most evil books I've ever read and one of the reasons why the world is fucked right now (laughs) because it's been obviously very influential, right? And I suppose the reason behind that is the kind of rampant casualisation and outsourcing and the arguments for that are sort of clearly laid out in this book, basically. So... um. Reactions, Jason, to yeah, like it's my a, setup there. Are you conflicted no, no, no. about it? I'd like. Uh, I spend a fair, like my whole, like my career, my academic career is in the business world, right? So, yeah. like, it, it's laid out in this book really, mm. really clearly, though. Mm. Um, and what, what I like about that uh, and about this book in particular is that it's very clear the kind of the types of analysis that you need to do and the, and how to go about doing those, that analysis. You see that in this, you can tell that his background is as a management consultant, right? Yeah. And throughout this whole book, it's like, it's really detailed about what you should do in order to be able to make a business run and to be able to make it run as efficiently as you possibly can. Cause you know, the, the way in which he applies his 80 20 rule is essentially you keep hacking away at the fat right until you get down to you know the 20 percent of the work that you need to do which delivers 80 percent of the results that you're going to get you just keep keep going around and around and around in all of that and but the extension of all of that of course is that you know you get rid of people um decent work you get rid of decent work and you employ contingent workers you know to do the smallest range of motion really you know in terms of yeah. the kind of work that they're doing so that they're yeah. they're sitting they're sitting there and they're just kind of like banging away at their particular widget and that's all that they do and you just optimize for efficiency out, out of that um, yeah and after the pandemic yeah. i suppose maybe the pandemic really brought into sharp relief the the unintended negative well i don't know if they're unintended negative consequences i just think they're not really thought about in this book but that mm. that those are the people we've depended on Yep, to put their lives at risk. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it does, it, it's, it's sort of hard reading in the shadow of that. Maybe that's where yeah. I, where I really struggle with it. I'm interested. So slide four here, I've just really briefly outlined the sort of four theoretical sort of principles or bodies of work that he relies on. And you'll know more about this than me, obviously. Maybe you want to talk through some of that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you've done a good job of just kind of summarising it really quickly here. The, the main one that he relies on is known as Pareto's Law, where wealth is concentrated in the top 20%. And what we know is that it's actually concentrated even more, you know, high up than that. It's not the one top 20%. Or 2%, it, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. And I suppose it's, it's one of the things you should probably call it out in this book is that the 80-20 principle is a principle it's not a hard and fast measure 
right? Because mm. some, sometimes it's 80-20, sometimes it's 70-30, sometimes it's one ninety nine. But the underlying principle here is that there there is a concentration of um, a benefit or a value in the top part of it. There's ZIPS principle of least effort, which is resources like people, goods, time, skills. Anything else that kind of leads to productivity tends to arrange themselves as to minimize the amount of work involved. Duran's law of the vital few, that there's only a few things that you actually should be doing and everything else is not worth your time, effort, money. You should identify those vital few and then focus on that. And the underlying principle that the winner takes all. And this is that kind of rampant Capitalism, uh, let's just yeah, say, like, yeah. naked capitalism, like yeah. capitalism that fills out its dress whites. Yes, <laughs> yes, certainly does, certainly does. Uh-huh. Uh, and kind of he goes on that, you know, 80% of the benefit can be like looked at as being produced by like 20% of the effort. And how I, so just to kind of give some context, how I look at this thing. So my role at work at the moment is that I'm in charge of the Academic Integrity Unit for La Trobe. So all of the cases for academic misconduct come through our unit. We process all of those cases, we arrange all of the hearings, and we do all that sort of stuff. So what we see every allegation of academic misconduct comes through our small little team. Mm. And so we Keep, we keep records of all of that sort of stuff and, and you know, what was the allegation, what was the finding, mm. you know, who did it, which, which which subject was it in, which subject coordinator reported it, like all that sort of stuff. So we've got this really big data set that we can go back to over the last few years. And I'm looking at the 80-20 principle and I'm saying, okay, let's have a look at that. Let's go to that list of data and let's go, what are the things that, as causing most of the issues for academic misconduct at La Trobe. Mm. Like, and can I use an 80-20 analysis to focus in on the few things, the vital few things mm. that are causing the most problems? And then the next step, of course, out of that would be how do we fix that particular set of problems? Like let's focus our attention there, not on here's a big spread of, you know, here's academic misconduct in the whole. Mm. But let's look at the ones that are actually generating most of the problems and let's mm. see if we can fix for that mm. and come up with solutions for that. So this idea that there will be 80%, if I can identify or if we can identify and then solve for those 20%, hopefully we'll see an 80% in inverted commas, an 80% reduction in the severity or the number of or something, mm. some metric around academic misconduct. So the way I, I mean, the way I've seen it used is uh, do do that analysis exactly like you said, and that's the appeal of this book. That's the bits I really mm. liked. That's why I'm so mm. deeply conflicted about it because this idea of eighty percent of the benefit from twenty percent of the effort is really powerful. So you know, he talks about eighty percent of the profits come from twenty percent of the business. Eighty percent of the profits mm. in any industry become from twenty percent of the firms. Eighty percent of the profit or the service comes from twenty percent of the costs, which is something mm-hmm. like you're saying there. Mm. You know, 80% of any profit comes from 20% of the clients. Um, 80% mm-hmm. of value creation from any individual comes from 20% of the activities, which is a really interesting way to think about your own work as an individual. And I've, I've got to say, like, it does speak to, you know how sometimes you think, oh, I spent five minutes on that 
and it was worth more than I did all week. And you sort of yeah. blame yourself for that. But that's linear thinking, right? Like yeah. that is just how work works. Like it's true that sometimes a five-minute job on something will have far more impact and effect and and ripple out much more than the, the 80% of whatever other guff you did that week. So that, that mm. from my point of view, is really helpful in starting to reframe the way you think about work. And I remember when I first picked this book up, it was ages ago, I've, I've struggled to read it, honestly. It's just like one of those books that doesn't, like romance doesn't come naturally to you, Jason. This kind yeah. of reading doesn't come naturally to me. But I first initially used it to analyse the search terms that were coming through to the blog. Mm-hmm. And the blog will show you how people got there. <clears throat> and I'm like, well, what are people actually looking for who randomly stumble on the blog and the blog and then come in? Once they come in, they tend to read three, four, sometimes almost every post. Like I watch people discover it and then there's such a huge archive of, you know, over 10 years of stuff that they'll come mm-hmm. back and they'll consume more. So it's a sticky blog once you get there, but how do you get there? And I found mm-hmm. that most people got there by Googling some variation of, how do I write the discussion section of my thesis? Oh, which right. interest, which is really interesting because the discussion section is the most creative, difficult part yeah. of a PhD where people people have done the literature review, they've done the methods, so far so normal, and then that gets to the bit where they actually have to make new knowledge and they flip yeah. out. And the other search term that comes up a lot is, I want to quit my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a little bit, a few very popular posts on quitting and the dimensions yeah. around quitting and the decision-making around quitting. So so I then took that as my starting point one year where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to write heaps more stuff about discussion section yeah. and yeah. did not make a wick of difference to my downloads. Oh, really? Yeah, but then I thought about it and I thought, well, that then then that's when I did the sticky analysis. I'm like, and they've come there for that reason they're not yeah. necessarily there or they don't become regular readers because of that. What they discover is the range of other stuff that's there. Yeah. And so that I should just keep doing the range. But it's a very, very interesting analysis to do. And I think even if it, – and he says this a lot in the book, you shouldn't apply it in a linear way either. You can get the wrong yeah. message from looking at what is the 20% or the vital few. You can actually read yeah. it wrong, and that's what I initially did. So – Coming back to it and reading it again, I just started again because I I just yeah. forgotten it. I was like, oh right, I see where I sort of went wrong with it. So a lot more sophisticated idea than I gave it credit. But he yeah. does claim in the way that economic people do. I say this with love and respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> economic <laughs> people, I've I've worked with a lot of economists now. They often think they can apply their principles to every fucking thing in the world. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure that that's correct. Anyway, he says no sphere of activity is immune from it. And he claims that it turns, and I'm now on page number six here, claims that it turns conventional wisdom upside down. So this is from page 48. And if you take this claim seriously, he says the following. So I'm just going to read through a list of implications of sort of Mm. 80-20 principles. And then I've got a few bolded there. We can just sort of riff on it. But he says, you should celebrate exceptional productivity rather than raise average efforts. And that sort of gets back to what I was saying before about not blaming yourself if you think, oh, that five minutes of work did more work. And just accept that that's work is lumpy like that. I thought that was valuable. Mm. Look for the shortcut, don't run the full course. Exercise control over our lives with the least possible effort. Be selective, not exhaustive. Strive for excellence in a few things rather than good performance in many. 
delegate and outsource as much as possible, choose career and employers with extraordinary care. Preferably, Mm. he says, be the employer. But anyway, that's him. I think he's a bit of a libertarian, right-winger. But anyway, only do the thing that we are best at doing and enjoy the most. Look beneath the normal texture of life to uncover ironies and oddities. I mean, what the fuck does that even mean? Like sometimes he just goes into like he's had a few too many whiskeys. I'm sure he drinks <laughs> drinks the stuff that's single barrel aged malt, malt whiskey stuff. And sometimes he picks up the typewriter. I'm just saying, don't do that, Richard. Um, he says, calm down, work less, and limit the, and target a limited number of very valuable goals rather than pursue every opportunity. And make the most of those few lucky streaks in our life when we're at our creative peak and the stars line up to guarantee success. So, like, Mm. I just invite us to choose. I've bolded out the ones I find most interesting in that list, but Mm. what do you think? Mm. Which one do you want to talk about? The calm down, work less, and target a limited number of very valuable goals rather than pursue every opportunity, that presupposes that you have a lot of control over what it is that, that is going on in your life, Indeed. right? Like if you're if you're working for someone else or you're working for a large institution, you might have views about what you think the very limited number of things are that you need to be able to focus on. Yeah. But the institution and your boss and others will, will have different views about that. Very much as well. Mm-hmm. Very much. And if you do kind of just you know, decide not to focus on those other things that other people think are important and just do the things that you think are important, you can find yourself without a job pretty quickly. So I, yep. yeah. So I would take that one with caution. I think underlying his books is that he has been self-employed. He is like forever. He is his own man. He is his own boss and the decisions that he makes, he wears the, both the consequences and the rewards of those. Mm -hmm. In his follow-up book, The 80-20 Individual, he's unapologetic about the fact that you you should be going out and starting your own business and being in charge of your own destiny. Like that's that's the message throughout Mm. that whole thing. Mm. And so when you read this book, I think you have to try and you have to remember that that not everybody is in a position to be able to do the sorts of things that he recommends in this book to be able to get the kind of results that he's sprouting, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. It's I'd love to just only do the limited number of things that I think are actually truly valuable in my job, but, I mean, good luck with that. Mm. And also sometimes mm. I don't really know, right? So hence the induction that I was talking about at the start of the episode. Given my druthers, I would have said, no way, I'm not doing that. That's a bad mm. idea, but I was totally mm. wrong, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So it, there is an arrogance that underlies that, that you think, you know, you think you know best. But it does sort of echo advice. I remember when I started working in architecture firms in the 90s, there weren't many women that had sort of climbed the ladder or stayed in the in the job. Daycare wasn't a thing. People tended to drop mm. out. And I remember the one woman that, you know, I could look to and say, okay, well, that's maybe my future. Didn't, well, didn't make it look super attractive. But one of the things that she mm. did say to me is that <laughs> she said, you know, only be really good at the things you enjoy, but be pretty competent at everything. She said, you've got to be competent mm. at everything or else you won't get anywhere. But just make sure you get really, really good at the things that you like doing. And what happens then is people tend to just employ you and pay you to do that. Mm. which is bloody good advice and I've followed it ever since. And you end up with a job where you do mostly what you like because people find it 
the people are like, oh, we could ask Inga to do that. But, you know, she's great at this other thing. She's okay. But there's probably someone who's better yep. at doing that. And I can also make yep. that argument back to my boss sometimes, like, I'd be okay at doing that. But it would take me ages and blah, blah, blah. How about yep. so-and-so does that? You know, and it's actually yep. that just works for everyone because you play to your strengths. But I, I did. I did like that sort of only when he says only do the thing we're best at, I would modify that mm. and just go with the, you know, be really good at that thing that you enjoy and then let mm. the, the career sort of fall out around that as much as you, mm. you know, and see if that works for you. So any of the else, others on this list that you want to like linger yeah, over? Yeah, de- delegate and outsource as much as possible. Mm. I I do that. Mm. I I really do that. I look at. Is this a good use of my time right now? Is this, could I be doing something else that's going to be more valuable, more productivity? And I, if I'm, I will often run that calculus through my head. It's mm. like, do I want to do this thing or mm. do I want to pay someone else to do it mm. while I go off and do something else mm. that's much more valuable? That's, I think that's good advice. The tricky bit around it, of course, is you're always going to have to make an, a judgment as to whether or not you're outsourcing it to somebody else because you don't enjoy it and, you know, or it's a, it's difficult or it's a dangerous job or something like that. And yeah. you're, you're thinking about that from an exploitative position. That's not, that can always not be great. But, but yeah, like I'm, I'm constantly kind of going, do I want to fix this thing? Like I could spend the next, four hours pulling this thing apart and then kind of remanufacturing it and putting it back together again. Do I want to do that? Mm. Or do I do I want to outsource that problem to somebody else? Mm. Or do I just want to buy a replacement thing? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm. like mm. I, I – so I will off-board. If I don't think it's worth it, I'll off-board. It's, it's like a default position for me. I, I, we shouldn't be doing mm. this. Somebody else should be doing that thing over there. Yeah, Luke, Luke, um, Mr. Thesis Whisperer is like that. He's, his father's a builder. So Luke is actually very, very handy around the house. Mm-hmm. Like he has like a deep well of kind of like, I can fix that light switch type. Well, he doesn't do that, but you know what I mean? Like if something yeah. breaks, he's the first person everyone goes to in the house. Like everyone says, ah, oh, you know, and he sort of gets a bit annoyed because we all get a bit like, and we underfunction, me and Brendan. Definitely. <laughs> like something's broken, we just bring it to him immediately. Because he's really good yeah. at fixing stuff, right? He thinks he yeah. isn't because he's holding his father up as a standard and because he's not a yeah. professional builder, he thinks he's not very good. But by any objective stretch of the imagination, he's amazing at this stuff and very handy. But he has this whole calculation of like and he feel obviously sometimes feels guilty about it, but he's like, I'm gonna pay X or so and so because like my hourly rate to yep. do this is like too high, and I would rather yep. spend my time you know, relaxing or whatever in order to do what my hourly rate pays me for than to do this. But he seems to yep. struggle with it a bit more than I do. I'm really happy to, like tonight's takeaway. I'm delegating cooking. Like, yeah, that's happening. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and I think like at work, I've, I'm having a bigger team. It's taken me a little while to just sort of relax and start to delegate and learning to delegate and not overload people and stuff. It's tricky, but taking it as default position, I have to agree is probably like the first question you should ask yourself is, should I do this or is someone mm. else actually better placed to get this done? So, mm. so to go on to a summary judgment, cause I just looked at the time went, oh, we spent a lot of time talking about romance novels. <laughs> 
a summary of the business bits, I suppose. He yeah. he. This is the I suppose where I get, I have trouble with it. The the overall sort of thrust of it. So he advises companies to reduce effort, and therefore probably you reduce sales. Right? He admits this up front. Mm-hmm. But you enjoy increased profits because you're not doing stuff that isn't of a value return. But that that is like. That's the classic share buyback, shareholder value type of, which I suppose businesses have to do because that's how the law Mm. is constructed. But it also means like, do you reduce effort to like clean up the environment? Do you reduce effort? Do you know what I mean? Like there seems to be like, it seems to be applied very bluntly without those, uh, you know, second order problems developing. And there's Mm. a lot of graphs. There's a lot of graphs. There's a lot of maths. And I just skimmed those bit. Look, I'm just assuming it's accurate, you know, but I found it (laughs) I found it really troubling. And that that idea that you basically strip out as many people from the processes of making stuff as possible and increase the profit. It just makes soulless profit making machines that don't give a shit about people's well being, let alone the environment and i.e. the world right now. Right, like mm. obviously, this has been this this book and globalization rose together. Well, globalization yep. had started about ten years before that, to be real. But I suppose this book articulated its mission and that yep. idea of like outsourcing to other suppliers who he says yep. are like closer to the problem with the customer, but not really. Actually, that there's no analysis of power relationships. There's no analysis of externalities. Like that, if mm. we behave this way. What's the true cost of that value chain that I've created that includes all the shipping in between and what's the true cost of that environmentally and the, mm. and all the resistance that's been put in by businesses to avoid having to calculate those costs, those embodied costs. Like can't, this is an articulation of that philosophy, I suppose. I'm just too lefty for it. Like <laughs> I just basically yeah. makes my skin crawl, you know? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. But he goes on, is, Jason. He does. <laughs> he goes on to the life advice. So he goes, right. okay, the, this works for business. Now I'm going to tell you how to run your life with it. And I'm like, really, dude? That's a big flex. And, well, and then actually, he wrote a whole book on it, right? He wrote a whole whole book. Was it 236 pages of the 80-20 individual? Well, you can talk about that in, like, let me just say, like, he uh, at least he didn't offer it without any caveat. So on page eight, yeah. there's a picture of me annotating my copy of it saying, fucking finally, underlying, <laughs> if you find your experience different, skip along until you find the next insight that does resonate with you. And I'm like, fucking finally, a, yeah. bus- a business book from a pro, white guy, that says this is how you can be successful in your life and finally admitting that maybe it might be different for you. But yeah. I, mean, I personally would like the next step which is where you offer the advice and then you say, this is why it works for me, and you unpack your privilege a little bit on the page so people can see it. But at least there's a caveat. But that's about all there is. Um, I'll just go to slide nine. You can maybe tell me if these things like the 80-20 individual where clearly like he, it's half, it's really half the book, which I skimmed over. I didn't read in detail because I kind of stopped mm. here because I assumed you knew the 80-20 individual as well. I'm wondering if mm. the the kind of stuff that I've listed there on slide nine is basically what he picks up in the 80-20 individual. Uh, no, actually, Longer. Uh, no, not really. No. Uh, in fact, now, the 80-20 individual is really the 80-20 principle, just repackaged again. So oh. in the 80-20, yeah. 
just in the eighty twenty um in the eighty twenty individual he talks to you know becoming an entrepreneur and then uh what you need to do in order to be able to be a successful entrepreneur and he uses different case studies on the way through so he's got one case study of a, a manager for a fashion house and he unpacks her experience of being able to derive drive value in that particular industry so mm. he's got these kind of like these mini case studies on the mm. way through i wouldn't be a and business book if it wasn't vehicle. a case study would, would it I yeah mean. what about yeah. slides number 10 that might be more i'm interested in whether those principles yeah yeah only a few decisions really matter yeah. Yeah. Do you want to read them yeah. out then? Like the because this thing maybe maybe what he then expanded on in the eighty twenty individual of these things. Yeah. He's like so. The first line you've got there is that eighty percent of the achievement and happiness takes place in twenty percent of the time, and that's just being able to identify what it is like happiness for everybody. Like is you know you have to decide what it is that actually makes you happy. And then being able to try and find ways to be able to replicate that, right? So to reduce the things, take away the things that are making you less happy. Only a few decisions really matter. And that is, that is true. There are some real key decisions that you need to make in your life and they will have ripple effects throughout the rest of the rest of your existence, mm. I think. Mm. So the trouble is it's hard to, some of them you recognize at the time. Yeah. You're like, Oh, this is a big decision. Yeah. yeah. Getting married. Yeah. Getting married to someone, right? Like, Absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that one you can see as, like, you know, deciding that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this particular individual is a big decision. But some of the others that you make, like the decisions, they don't become obvious to you until much later down the track. Yeah, right? Absolutely. You kind of, you look, you look back on them and you go, oh, look, mm. you know, when I decided that at the time, it didn't feel like a big decision, but it had a huge impact. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, like. For me, it was the decision to go back to study after after uni, right, and do my master's degree. And, like, that decision set me on the path for the rest of my life, really, in terms of education, working in universities. I went and subsequently got a PhD. You know, yeah. like, I started to really dig into the kind of management discipline, and that's where I've spent pretty much the rest of my life. I mean, I've always taught, and I think the decision to, to drop architecture and teach was obviously a big one, but the bigger decision in retrospect was the first teaching job I had was in the vocational sector, like I taught architectural drafting and that sort of thing, practical things, mm -hmm. and it really suited me that the workplace is really toxic and my decision to leave that workplace sent me on the track to end up being a professor here at ANU, which is like light mm. years away from that position. But if that workplace had not been so toxic, I would still be there today, probably quite happily. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes you just don't realise exactly right. You don't realise until later on what a difference that Much decision later. made. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I like what the, there's two lines here that you haven't got bolded. Shall we read them out Something and then we can we, we can talk about which one? So he sort of says, only a few decisions matter. There's only a few in key inputs that matter. Everyone can yeah. do significant things if they find the right things. Uh, some, some of the ways that he described these are pretty whack. Again, he's drinking yeah. the malt whiskey. Everyone can be a winner by rigging the odds in their favour legitimately, which is, I think, something Tim Ferriss picked up on and went, fuck the legitimately. Something yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> something about entering the races you want to rather than the ones others choose for you, something, something. Not many people take objectives seriously, he says, which I think is like being pretty arrogant, actually. Most people spend too much time on low-value activities. He says, choose allies. Don't just wait for them to arrive. Pick the right mm. pa- life partner. That is really fucking true. Use money mm. rightly. I don't know what he means that. And then happiness is not money, something, 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 something. That's my summary. <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> The the two that I the two that I like in that is something about something 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 about entering races you want to rather than the ones others choose for you. Mm. That's actually like you'd be surprised. I a lot of people just do what other people have decided for them. I I often talk to people and and they're like, oh yeah, how did you get to kind of this job that you're working in now or whatever? And they tell you this kind of story that they've wandered their way through and they found themselves where they are at the moment and they're happy with that sort of mm. thing. And and I'm like, I've always gone, oh, right. <laughs> I'm like, you, you, shouldn't you be a little bit more active in thinking about what you're going to do and how where you're going to because work takes up such a huge amount of your time. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah. What you're going to do, and if you're not going to be active around that, like, yeah, yeah. I, I always, I always kind of, I struggle with that. I'm always conscious of the fact about where I sit and whether or not I'm making the call, or whether or not I'm calling the shots, or whether or not other people are calling the shots for me around that sort of stuff. And I absolutely get it, right? Like I'm sitting here in like my nice little house on my, you know, expensive mic, talking to you across the internet from a position of privilege that my job has been able to get me because I'm a white guy, I grew up in an educated household, I went yeah. to uni, I like all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. I totally get that. But there is something to, you know, paying attention to what's going on around you and when things are not going the way that you want them to go, then you have to do something about that if you want to improve improve the overall situation that you find yourself in. I think. Yeah. Now I yeah. I say I say that from my privileged position, mm. right? Like there are there are people who are, are in much tougher positions than what I am and so digging themselves out from those kinds of positions requires superhuman effort and you know most you know probably beyond yeah. what they're absolutely capable of as individuals. They need, you know, significant help and assistance in order to be able to do that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I get that. I'm not saying that it, that it's easy for everybody, but there is a piece, I think, around paying attention to what's going on around you and then kind of as best you can making those decisions to to make your situation as good as you can possibly make it. I think both of us are example of that in academia. So, like, leaving aside the privilege thing, which is not, like, let's not leave it aside. It's a huge thing. I mean, white, cis, het, married, privilege, whatever. Like, it's Mm. all there. Um, And that gives you a position to have a bit more choice. Lots of people don't have those choices. We do. But say in academia, like, the the race, if you like, is all around publications, Mm. right? Mm. Neither Mm. of us have ever really decided to run in that race. And yet we've been successful, right? Yeah. Like neither of us have gone, I'm just going to like smash out this many public, like I'm just going to go for the numbers, I'm going to go for the quality. Like neither of us have structured our careers that way. And yet objectively Mm. we sit in nice houses and we are successful. So given Mm. everyone who can even enter academia at any level of stability, which for me took a very, very long time, Mm-hmm. I didn't get made permanent until 2019 and I started my academic career 20 years before that, right? So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's a yeah. long time. 
And it's also a long time to resist the race that's put in front of you that says, do this and you will succeed. And I just looked at that and went, I don't want to. Like, first of all, like, it's rigged. It's it's there for the benefit of a publication industry, namely Rupert Murdoch and his kind of ranking systems. And like, so on a political mm. level, as soon as I learned that shit, which I learned only in about 2006, I was like, fuck that. This is exploitative. Mm. This, we're giving away our copyright to large publishers that sell us back to us. This is ridiculous. This is capitalism eating the university. I don't want to be in that race any more than I absolutely fucking have to. Like, I went to a yep. talk in 2006 about it where I suddenly understood what was going on. I was like, no way. Okay. How do I resist this? Politically, mm. that just doesn't sit with me. I also hate writing those papers. Like, I just mm. find the writing genre and the whole conventions around it really weird. People don't really read them compared to what read people, number of people that read a blog. And in, okay, in some fields, maybe it's all about the journals and you just have to. That's the only people who are going to read your stuff. But in my case, yeah. that's certainly not the case. Like my insights and my knowledge and stuff come really through teaching and 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 the and the stakeholders are PhD students and they're not going to read a paper about research education why should they they've got so much yeah. other reading to do right so so I yeah. made the conscious decision to down tune writing and I remember a colleague of mine I was actually writing a blog post and she looked over my shoulder and went you're wasting your time you need yes. to stop doing that like you are I'm worried about your career and and the choices you're making and I went, mm, thanks for the advice, but mm. no thanks. And then subsequently I've, like, chosen to participate in commercialisation, which is really you can't publish a lot of that stuff because it's commercial inconfidence. It's trade mm-hmm. secrets. Postdoc is full of trade secrets that I can't mm. publish. And yet by choosing not to enter those races or being very intentional about how I've participated in them, I've still managed to be successful, I think, because I've concentrated on the value, like, what is the value mm-hmm. that I offer to people? How do I get that value to them? So I think I was kind of 80, 20, 20-ing it. And I think and you're very similar. You've concentrated a lot on how do I do teaching, like the epic scale of teaching that you used to be able to run that no one else could do, clearly, because when you left they tried to replace you with four people and they couldn't. God knows what they're doing <laughs> it's now. It's not quite that. You know what I mean? It's not that bad, right? <laughs> but, you know, but you, you concentrated on... You concentrated on different things. Like you concentrated yeah. on your teaching and you got good at it and you were like and that publication race was always being pushed at you and you were being pressured to do it and you resisted. Mm. And made decisions yeah. based on that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's the next line here underneath that one where you've you've got written here, not many people take objectives seriously. This is the heart of that 80-20 rule, I think. It's about making a clear decision about where you think that value sits yep. and then cutting away anything else around that that is going to distract you from achieving that particular set of goals. And that's where the 80-20 becomes really, really valuable. So, for example, I remember when I first started, I first started tracking my time with Rescue Time. Yeah, uh, I, I remember. time. <laughs> timing app at the time yeah but it was it was very much it was this question of well if i'm not going to play the research game like if i'm not going to write papers Mm. and and play in that game Mm. i'd better use my i had better be so good at the other stuff that i'm doing right that i better use my time in such a way that it like gets real serious results out of that 
And so for me, what I did is I focused on, you know, building those linkages between industry and the classroom. Yep. Right. That was, that was the thing that I did. And, you know, I made sure that when I went out and I went out and organized and worked with organizations that I worked with big name organizations that, that were well known and that universities wanted to be you know, kind of aligned with, right? So the value yeah. you offered was very clear. Like they want very that. Very clear. But they often yeah. don't tell you what they want. You have to kind of intuit it. And I think that's where the value of the thinking that he talks about, where it's you, you're looking for the non-obvious. You're trying to, like, you see the obvious rules of the game laid out for you and go, hmm, yeah. is that actually really what the university wants from me? Really? Like, mm. Actually, the university wants a lot of things and where is it creating its value and where do I sit yeah. in that value chain and what am I offering? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Doing that was smart. Yeah. It, like, and that's why I think that's why I think I really like this book is because it forces you to decide. Like you, you look at all of the things that you've got and if you accept the fact that there is a principle at play here of some mm. kind or another, mm. like the 80-20 principle, even if it's not that, right, but you mm. just accept that there is something like that that's working, it forces you to sit down and have a look at all of the stuff that you're doing to try and figure out where the value lies. Yeah. And I think there's, I think that's, a, that's an, a skill that people should develop and, and just, you know, apply, repeat, apply, repeat, apply, repeat. Come up every now and again and have a look around and make sure that you're cutting down the right trees in the right forest. You know, sharpen the saw, as yep. our good friend Stephen Covey would say. Yeah, indeed. But, <laughs> but, yeah, just make sure that you are, you know, laying that stuff out, figuring out what your objectives are and then hammering away on those objectives. Yeah, look, I, I have to agree. I'm so, like, I just want this book without the bullshit right-wing libertarian politics, basically. Like, Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's thick. <laughs> Because it's a cloud yeah. of libertarian bro yeah. culture kind of yeah. that you have to like I was choking on it at the same time as I'm trying to yeah. like go Yeah, so so as a consequence on, on slide eleven, which is the last slide in the in the discussion guide, you finally get to see the Bristol stool chart. <laughs> so the whole concept behind our is this book bullshit is that the rating <laughs> follows the Bristol stool chart. So if you're wondering what that looks like, it goes from one to seven, one being yeah. separate hard lumps, seven being liquid consistency with no solid pieces, <laughs> which, you know, the pictures are pretty mm. – I'm giving the, this. A, I'm giving this a three, Jason. It's a sausage shape a with cracks in the surface. Like <laughs> yeah, basically, no. you'd be happy passing this particular bullshit. Like you go, okay, that's yeah. okay. Nothing, nothing seriously wrong with my bowel culture, but some cracks <laughs> in the surface. You know, yeah, like it's yeah, not. Some it's not a four, like a like smooth, soft sausage or snake, which is no. type four. There's something. There's something not quite right about it, and I think. Basically, one day we should write a book, Jason, like one day, about all this yes. stuff. We've got plenty of right. <laughs> And I reckon we could take a lot from this without the bullshit politics. But your thoughts? Yeah. Would you agree yeah. with the type three assessment? I, I, I thought exactly the same as you. Right. Uh, I, I, I did. I think that this is – I think that this is a good book. Like I think it's worth everybody reading if – for no other reason, like even if you don't do a deep reading on it and you just, you're kind of reading it just to really understand what that, that principle is out there and that it does work. And yep. that you, it, 
it turns up enough that it's useful. Yeah. Right? Like you've yeah. Yeah. You don't agreed. have to get all the you don't have to get all the maths and, and all the rest of it. And and I think you could probably, if you really decided to sit down and really work your way through that and really understand, particularly the stuff where he talks about, it's not always the surface analysis that hide, that highlights this stuff. It's you have to dig deeper and yeah. understand the relationships between things a little bit more subtle. That where, where and it's data driven, like it's it's really about analysing, yeah. and that really appealed to me. You know, like that you get yeah. evidence and you go. I'm not going to just look at that evidence in a facile way. I'm going to really dig deep and see what where the evidence takes me. That appeals, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I think people should read it for that. But, yeah, oh, man, the, the right-wing libertarian. Hoo-hoo, baby. <laughs> I, uh, the, in the 80-20 individual, it comes out even thicker. Oh, does it? Oh, oh my God, I'm oh, not yeah. going to. I'm just not going to do it, Jason. Yeah. I'm not going to do yeah. it. Yeah. So – I agree. Not not necessarily bullshit, but mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, could have been better. Could have been better. <laughs> could have been better. Yeah, I've been reading some other stuff, but I'm looking at our time, so maybe we might hold it over. I read an article from the Harvard Business Review titled "Don't Ditch Your Paper Calendar," mm. which is what was a study where they looked at people who used paper calendars versus people who use digital calendars mm. and what the outcomes of that were. Mm. But I reckon what we'll do is we'll hold that one over and come back to it maybe next week. Have you been reading anything else? I have, actually. Oh, oh actually. Yeah, you've got actually, to tell me what else I, you've I, got. Yeah, I've been reading, I've been starting to read this one, which is called Objective Secure by a guy called Nick Lavery. Now, Nick Lavery is an above-the-knee amputee. Yeah. He lost his leg in a battle in Afghanistan from an insider attack. So what happened was uh, some people drove into the base, and at the time, he the reason I got this book was I heard it, uh, I heard him interviewed over five hours, right? Wow. Like, of interview- yeah, yeah. And he goes into a lot of detail about how he lost his leg and the recovery that he went through and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he was, he's an above the knee amputee, is Green Beret. So that's the peak of the special forces for the US Army. Mm. And he is the only, I think, the only above the knee amputee who has been able to return to full active duty. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So he is going, he's actually back in the fight and he had to prove himself worthy in terms of like physically able to be able to do all this sort of stuff, to be able to, you know, do all the jumping out of the planes and the swimming under the waters and all the, all the other things that Green Berets have to do to be able to be Amazing. active duty. And it's a, it's a story. It's partly about grit, you know, just like never quitting. And the rest of it is around. He's got this system that, and I haven't got very far. I'm only about thirty odd pages into a mm. two hundred page book. He's got a system about goals, about setting goals, and then what you need to do in order to be able to achieve them. Mm. So he breaks it down. I've flicked through it. There's a few diagrams in there, like fishbone diagrams, oh, yeah. that kind of breaks it all down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaks it all down. Not a lot of super detail in the book compared to the interview that I heard. But, yeah, fascinating read so far. So I've been reading that as well, kind of page here, page there as I'm 
making dinner and doing all sorts of other things. Yeah, it's good to have one that you cook along like that. I've got a few like that, mm. as you know, like I just flip between. But I picked this one up yesterday, which is called Building a Second Brain. I'd heard a fair bit ah. about it. Tiago Forte. And I got that far. Look how far I got yesterday. Wow. Yeah. And I wow. and not in a skimmy kind of way. Like in a I really got value out of those, how many pages have I read so far? 133. And that was just wow. sitting down on the couch yesterday afternoon and going, what's this book about? Uh, fascinating. So building a second brain, we are going to talk about for sure because I'm already going, some of the problems I've had with my note-taking and information organising system I think are mm. solved. Wow. Yeah. So like, I, I, solved. I saw it. Yeah. Wow. I saw you tweeted the cover of that book yesterday and I kind of tweeted back and I was like, is it, can it just be summed up with by like just use OmniFocus? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. Um, I thought, what could this book really teach me? Like, I'm good at this stuff. Yeah. And then I read it. I'm like, man, I already do that. Man, mm, I already do that. And then I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. Ooh, yeah. I hadn't thought about it that. Like, it tackles things like I've, I sort of virtually gave up Evernote because the tagging, I could yeah. never make it work. I think yep. I could I can make it work now. And he also has this method of highlighting and I've always told people don't highlight. Highlighting is lazy reading, right? Mm. And then I'm like, "Oh, I'm wrong." Like his method oh. of highlighting is good. Really good. Ooh. In fact, I'm going to definitely distill this one and teach it and do a do a session oh. where I just teach his principles because I'm suddenly so but I want to put them into practice first. I like I think mm. I'm steeped enough in this stuff that I, I look at it and I go, Yep, that will work. I know it will, but I do want to test it out first. So I want to test it out and when I've tested it out, talk about it. I think it'll be really good. Is it is this one that you like do I need to buy yes, this book or I think are you, you do. you're gonna I think you, you should do, get really? the audio book version and I think you in your carpool mm. and your car or, you know, you should like if you're even if you're carpooling, your carpooling people will get value out of listening to my, this book. My car bro, your car, <laughs> your car bro, car um, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really. I just, I just get it on audio for now, given the time okay. constraints you've got, and then see if you want to buy it. I bet you'll buy it. Wow. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. a ringing endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm excited about it and I can't wait to actually go back to all my systems and just like the thing is I do everything he's saying but I didn't realize why I was doing it and once you know why everything becomes different I think Mm. anyway I'm excited I'm also reading Proust and the Squid yes the story of reading and writing which is mind-bending interdisciplinary account of how we read and write it goes from brain science through to poetry through to dyslexia through to like i'm not even going to attempt to review it nor am i going to talk about it on the pod if you are into the science of reading and writing and story then you should read it otherwise like go Mm. oh that's interesting one of the weird things that inga reads i'm reading it for my next book that i want to write Mm. I don't have a publisher for it, nor do I have any time to write it. But like, mm. I'm I'm starting to feed. I'm starting to feed on, oh. you know, sort of taking in the things I need. And You're now brilliant. that I've got building a second brain, I'm going to build it right from the start this time. Yeah, I'm really oh. excited to see where that goes because right. as a book writer, 
you've got like the key thing is stitching together all those bits and bobs, you know, and making it into a story yeah. of all the things that you're snackily interested in. And you think, oh, there's something yeah. in this. I don't know how it all coalesces. It's a way to sort of bottom up, get that organisation to happen. So, yeah, we'll see. Huh. Mm. Cool. Cool. I look forward to it. Mm. Hey, we're at the uh, we're at the important bit. Yeah. <laughs> what we promised at the start before the romance novel <laughs> reviews before yeah <laughs> Our two minute tips this is in honor of one of the techniques that david allen advocates in his getting things done books he argues that if you think up a task and it takes less than two minutes to complete that you should do it then and there because it'll take longer to capture in your task system schedule time to do it mark it as complete than if you just kind of got on and just did it then and there i've actually got two mm. i'm got one i'm going to tell you about which is a new one mm. and then i'm going to give you an update on last weeks so the last episodes oh yeah yeah uh, two minute yeah, tip do. as well so i added a bomb disposal <laughs> section to, the, to <laughs> my end of week wrap up email to my boss which of course i've got a snippet for oh, using cool. text expander yes right? you do. Like, yes. Like, i don't want to write the same stuff over and over again it's like let's let's put a framework around that yeah so the problem with working in quality in a university is that you will often be busily beavering away and solving problems before they become problems, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're the person that people pick up the phone to and they go, hey, Mm. notice this thing. Mm. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have to, you have to kind of push down your, your willingness to be able to go, Oh, shit, that sounds bad. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Tell me more about this thing that you've – and so what happens is that I I can get a phone call and that can just derail my whole day while I go away and learn a little bit more about a thing and then it's like, okay, what does that mean and blah, 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 blah. And if we just do this change over here, then it's all fine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because sometimes it's definitely bomb, bomb disposal. disposal. Yeah. It's definitely bomb disposal, right? If you've done but your job properly, thing, no one blows up. No one blows up. No mm. one even knows that there was a bomb in the first Correct. place. Right? Yes. Right? So the problem with that is that then how do you prove your value to the institution? Yeah. Because you you're essentially a cost center with no visible output. You're like ACO. Because, yes. That's it, right? <laughs> They cost us a lot of money. They we do. hope they're doing a good job. Yeah. Right? But we've got no way of telling. Yeah. No way of knowing. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I put in my end of week wrap up email mm. now. It's a section called bomb disposal where I talk about the things that I did that resulted in nothing <laughs> happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the, out, the outcome was business as usual. That is a classic um, example of making your work visible, right? We were talking about invisible yeah, yeah. work before. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm. and what it also does is if it's not a problem, like the problems that come up instantly become stories that you can tell later down the track, right, like dinner mm. party stories and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right, mm-hmm. because they were big problems and then you had to do all this activity and then you had to solve this thing and blah, 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 blah. Mm. You remember those ones. Mm. But the ones where they were like a minor problem and you caught it before it became big or, you mm. know, or whatever, mm. you, you, just, you forget about it, like problem solved, moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So putting them in this end-of-week wrap-up email is a good way of capturing all of that sort of stuff so that when you get to the end-of-year performance review, Mm. you can go back to those emails and you can say, you know, we did these things, we accomplished these things along the way, Mm. but there was all this other stuff that 
didn't happen because I was around to catch it before mm. like it went off. Mm. I do um, bomb disposal as well. You know. Do you? Oh, all the time. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah. I'm the kind of I'm oh, very yeah. visible. Like, email me when someone's some doing something to someone that they shouldn't be doing. Like, I get yeah, those yeah. emails a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of like pass them through. Like, I'd like to think of myself as a mountain guide in Nepal. I'm like, walk up that dirt track, turn left when you see the rock, keep going that way. You know, to yeah. how how does this person solve this problem? You know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a quintessential invisible bomb disposal work if you haven't sort of pointed out the pathway for them to resolve that dispute early. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Um, the other one is my – I sent you a photo, I think maybe on Twitter, I'm not quite sure, my my timer. Remember yes. you said start a, start a timer? Well, I ordered two of them. Yes. So this is what they this is what they actually look like. On the side, it looks like it's got this kind of metal ring that you twist to make time go up and down. It and looks do very sort of fancy. Stuff. It looks very fancy. It is not. <laughs> it is cheap, 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 cheap. <laughs> it looks um, good though. <laughs> it looks good, but it's all plastic and like it's got three settings underneath it, like super loud alarm. Not quite so loud, but still really annoying alarm and off. Right? Like, okay. <laughs> so I ordered two of these things, paid more than I should have, as we were talking about last time. One of them, one of them doesn't work. Okay. Like so 50% of them doesn't work. So the one I've got at work, it, the digital timer will count down, but it doesn't make an alarm. So oh. I'm, yeah, I'm in the process of arguing with someone um, on the internet about whether or not they should just send me another one. And they're like, send me a video of it not working. And uh, oh my god, but, okay. But it's actually pretty good. Um, the one I've got, <coughs> work, it, it, it's got magnets in the bottom of it. They're mm. not very powerful, mm. but they're powerful enough. And I stick it straight onto my whiteboard. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it always sits there, and then I can just turn it up and turn it down and press go, and yeah, yeah. all the rest of it. And that's how I that's how I learned that it didn't have an alarm, or that the alarm didn't work because it counted down from twenty five minutes or whatever I set, and I never heard it go off. And I kind of looked up and went like, "When's that thing? I must be getting close now." <laughs> it was at zero, and I don't know how long it had been there. So anyway, whatever. So yeah, your timer, your two minute tip timer was really good. Uh, user timer was a really good one, and my <laughs> my implementation of that. Well, not my implementation of it. The time the manufacturers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 50%, 50% successful. But good idea, what about you? Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, sort of like, idea. yeah. So you set the folk, the amount of time you've got left to that meeting or whatever the next thing is and you just set the timer and you don't focus, you know, you don't worry about it until the timer goes off unless the timer's not working, in which case, you know, yeah, look, that system yeah. breaks. Um, <laughs> it works particularly well here at home. I oh, found. yeah. Yeah, because it, it does. It just, like, keeps your focus on the task that you've got on right in front of you right now. So when I'm working from home, those little 25-minute timers, because I, I do I do go, ah, oh, that's it. Like, my 25 minutes is up. I can go and turn on the dishwasher or, <laughs> or do something else. Move can, or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can yeah. step away from the computer for a yeah. bit. Yeah, or actually look out reminds- into the distance so that you don't your eyesight doesn't get worse. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're meant to keep doing um, that, you know. You're meant to actually give your eyes a rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Oops. that's good. Um, aside from the fifty percent breakage report, you know, mm. report back on the uh, oh, return oh, yeah. returns <laughs> returnability oh, of the time. It's, be- it's bound to be a, it's bound to be a drama, right? Like it's not yeah, actually totally. going to go smoothly. <laughs> no, it is yeah. not. No, it is not. I've got one. 
Mm. Kind of like, kind of one. So somebody looking at you, Dr. Will Grant, uh, spilled a significant proportion of a bottle of water right on my laptop keyboard. Oh. You know that sinking feeling? And he was sort of like, oh, shit. And I was like, oh, I tried not to like yell like, ah, shit. Anyway, it survived. Apple, brilliant work on the new keyboards. Like they've Uh done a lot of work to obviously make it more water resistant. Yeah. yeah. So my machine survived. But, like, you know how it is with water on keyboards. It's a couple of days before you know if mm. it's survived it because it can mm. initially survive and then it seeps in and then you're fucked. Mm. But it seems to be okay. <laughs> so it's, like, nearly a week later now and it's okay, which is good. But it really did get me thinking about my backup plans generally. So I've got yeah. Time Machine at home. So the idea behind Time Machine is that I open my laptop, it finds Time Machine, goes, oh, hey, hi, Time Machine, here's everything, and then syncs, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But I hadn't really been paying attention to Time Machine and it turned out it hadn't synced for several months. Ooh. And I had to get Mr. Thesis Whisperer, i.e. tech support, to kind of have a look at that. <laughs> um, I do have a hot spare computer. Like, so I've got a really one of my old ones that Thesis Whisperer Junior no, no, even no longer uses for uni is is yeah. there in case I need, like, just a computer to keep going. So I've got a hot spare. Yeah. And, like, the, the assumption behind the hot spare is I could reinstall what's on Time Machine onto my hot spare, but... If you don't have Time Machine working, that whole thing doesn't work, right? So I also mm. had a backup on a disk because Mr. Thesis mm-hmm. Whisperer, being a, you know, computer guy, has mm. always had, you know, he's got my back, right? So he's got a disk in the safe and he said to me when I said, oh, it's not working on the blur, he's like, how about the disk in the safe? When did you last back up to that? Well, that turned out to be more than six months ago. So anyway... <laughs> Leadless to say it was a good wake-up call that one has backup mm. systems one needs to monitor and make sure. In the process of wiping the water from my keyboard, I also managed to put somehow, like the way that I file my ANU folders, you know, my strategic papers, the, the mm. paper I'm writing for the exams committee, like minutes, you know, um, CVs, staff members, it's all in one folder called ANU, right? And I just like mm. save it by year. So I've got 10 years of ANU data. Mm-hmm. in my ANU folder, which I accidentally, mm. as it turned out, dragged into the bin. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I did eventually oh, locate it. I'm like, where is it? And then I did eventually <laughs> find it. Luckily I hadn't entered the, en- emptied the trash yeah. in a long time, right? But I had actually, yeah. I do occasionally also, just as a complete backup, backup, drag that ANU folder onto Dropbox. So so it's my two-minute tip here is just spend a little bit of mm. time making sure everything's working. Don't just assume that the backup systems stay backed up properly. Like it's still a thing. I I'm, I grew up in an era where you really had to be on this stuff, right? Like computers would yeah. stuff up and backing yeah. up was actually a real pain. You had floppy disks, like, like it was a whole thing. And I used to be much more, and it used to happen a lot more. Computers would break a lot more. Water on a keyboard would have been an absolute fucking disaster, even a couple of Macs ago. So this mm. is, this. so I've got a bit slack. So if you've got Slack, yeah. this is just your reminder. Mm. Don't be Slack about that. Don't be Slack. Because Make sure it's you an get awful those backups. feeling. It's an awful feeling. I'm fine now. Everything's backed up. It feels good. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm now seriously thinking about my backup. Yeah, no, really. Yeah, yeah you yeah. do. You can't just sit and forget. You really do have to check everything's working, you know. Yeah. 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 Mm. Thank you, Inga Mewburn. Thank you, Jason uh, for, Downs. For 
for today. It's As always, it's been a pleasure. Where can people find you if they want to get reach out to you to talk about things? At Thesis Maybe Whisperer. Seals, romance <laughs> On <books>. Twitter. <laughs> On Twitter, I'm hanging out there finding out that the Queen died at 1 o'clock oh, in the yeah. morning or something when I woke yeah. up. And I went, oh, how about that? That's interesting times. End of an era. Mm. So mm. at Thesis Whisper on Twitter or at Thesis Whisper on all the things, Google me, you'll find me. Um, if you want to talk to me, speak pipe, or if you want to send a speak pipe to On The Reg, uh, the best mm. way to do that actually is to go to thesiswhisperer.com and have a look on the left-hand side. There's a little blurb about who I am and what I do, and there's a link there right there to say send me a message. And so you, mm. that goes straight to speak pipe if you're wondering how to speak pipe, like Chin did. Yeah. If you've or read a romance you- novel, you know, you can do that. Tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Or if you want to, the direct method, so not to take people <laughs> away from your from your blog. <laughs> but if you know, if you want to go, if you want to go straight to the good stuff, www.speakpipe.com forward slash thesis whisperer will be will also get you to where you need to get to, so that you um, can yeah. uh, leave a leave a, a recording there. Something like uh, something like chins would be awesome. <laughs> You can find me at Jason Downs on the on the Twitters. Hey, Inga, I deleted my Instagram. Uh, oh my god! What? Why? Yeah, yeah. What? The algorithm. The algorithms had me. Oh, yeah, they do suck you yeah. in. I bought so much stuff off Instagram. It's bad. Yeah, the algorithms got me. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to take a break. So just delete. Oh, like the account's still there, right? Yeah. Like just in the background, but like I'm just like I'm not being sucked into that anymore. That vortex, yeah. It's just like it's not good. Conscientious objector. Anyway, conscientious objector. Conscientious objector. Mm. Yep. So I'm at Jason Downs, and pretty much it's just on Twitter, like because I've abandoned Facebook. Yeah, I abandoned well. Facebook too. Conscientious objector. Yeah. 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 If you want to, please leave a review for us. Yeah. Um, we like our reviews. Um, we read all of them. We definitely use them. We read them in. The, Definitely use them to think about how we're shaping the show and what we include in the show. And so we love it when people leave reviews. Uh, The best way to do that would be Apple Podcasts, reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yep. Because those those reviews kind of out, you know, they're outsized in terms of impact and effect. So we like them there. We use them to shape our show. And this is your final reminder, if you've made it this far, that (laughs) if you want to start your own podcast and you're wondering which podcast platform to use we use and recommend riverside that's the one that we've been using for quite some time now the good folk at riverside have provided us with a link that will offer you uh if you're a new user a 15 percent discount if you do decide to use riverside let them know that we sent you yes it would be great we'll put some links to some of the stuff that we've mentioned in the pod uh into the show notes as well and you can go there and find some of the stuff you can find the Goodreads review, for example, of Everyday Average Jones by Suzanne Brockman, and you can decide whether or not you're going to pick up, pick yourself up a copy. Yeah, and you can read our discussion guide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, discussion yeah, guide. Yeah. You and there's some links find, to Yeah. Okay. Find the initial Bristol stool chart. If you're interested. <laughs> mm, yeah. Mm. All right, Inga. All right. Always a pleasure. Talk soon. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye.